Welcome to Boston's Best, a podcast where you go behind the scenes with financial planner Mark Condon as he asks industry-leading experts in and around Boston to talk about their businesses. Mark will find out what sets these companies apart from their competition and how they have risen above the inevitable challenges they have faced along the way to their ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Mark Condon. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode 53 of Boston's Best. The goal of this podcast is to highlight businesses in and around Boston. My guests on today's podcast are Brian and Melanie O'Neill. They are the husband and wife co-founders of Rustic Marlin. Rustic Marlin creates premium quality handcrafted home decor for everyone and every occasion. They were born out of Hanover, Mass. and was founded in 2012. They started with just the two of them and now have 35 employees. Melanie and Brian share with us their story of how they created some signs for their immediate family at their wedding. They went away on their honeymoon for two weeks with their phone shut off and came back to hundreds of voicemails of people wanting more of their signs. They started making four to six pieces a week out of their home when they had a store reach out to them and placed a $3,000 order with a required delivery of one week. Instead of the usual four to six pieces, they all of a sudden had to make 50 pieces that week. They delivered on their promise, and that's when Rustic Marlin really came to realization. In this episode, we talk in depth about the full scope of products they can make for people, from tabletop decor, wall art and signs, to even pillows. Melanie and Brian share the advice they give to any young entrepreneur wanting to start their own business and how important it is to have the foundation in place. And be sure to listen to the end as Brian and Melanie share what they see for the future of Rustic Marlin, what they would tell their 18-year-old selves, and how they define success in any given year. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boston's Best. Good morning. This week, we have Brian and Melanie O'Neill. They are the co-founders of Rustic Marlin out of Hanover. How you doing? Hey, we're doing good. Thanks for for hopping on Boston's Best. I'm excited to have you two on. Uh, I think it was Valerie that introduced us. How how well do you two know Valerie? Oh, we met Valerie at the very beginning of uh, Rustic Marlin days. She called in as a customer. It was early in the morning and I answered. And three hours later, we hung up and we've been great friends and supportive of one another since. Valerie's good people. We, she was on the podcast, I'd say about a couple months ago at this point. She, she's good people. So happy to, happy to speak with anybody that she knows. Uh, so before we get into Rustic Marlin, give us a little background on the two of you. Did you. Are you from Massachusetts? Did you grow up in the area? I grew up South Shore. I grew up in Situate, Massachusetts. Yep. I pretty much lived there my whole life. And then I met Melanie uh, on a work trip up in New Hampshire. But Melanie lived uh, in Wakefield at the time. And I grew up in Everett, so I'm more of a city girl with a different uh, lifestyle than Brian. But um, yeah. I think we met in Portsmouth, and that uh, was the beginning to all of our craziness. <laughs> so, so not just the business, but obviously the relationship aspect that you two met on a on Brian's business trip. Yes. What were you doing out there? What would you do before before uh, Rustic Mountain? Yeah, I was in sales. I worked for a company that sold uh, healthy healthy pet food. So I was uh, okay. on the road and had been up in Portsmouth for a bunch of days and then um, was at a bar and uh, struck up a conversation with Melanie and uh, we kind of hit it off. Um, had a great time that night and then obviously things progressed. And the ni- nice part about this thing is that when we actually decided to get married, we decided to recreate the night that we met. So we, we got married up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and we literally uh, took over the, the bar that we, we did our first date in. So... Oh, get out. Yeah, we thought that was going to be the highlight of our wedding. And um, unbeknownst to us, we actually had done these uh, gifts for our siblings at the rehearsal dinner the night before, just as something fun to give them. And they were these signs with their last names on them. Yeah. And so basically, you know, 
10 years later, the, the, the signs are a bigger part of our wedding than what we thought we, yeah. you know, everything was meaningful about that night was really special. Get out. So, so that's how the whole thing started was you, you were creating gifts for what the wedding party, all guests and people uh, loved it. Mostly just our siblings, which in hindsight, they weren't even really an official wedding party, but we just felt like we wanted to get them a thank you gift. And we made signs. We couldn't find anything that we really liked in all the stores that we thought was special. So we searched for things for a while and then we just decided to make our own and we laughed because those first few signs probably took a month to make and we come up. <laughs> Long way since then. Okay. And, that's... Yeah, I mean, we just went on our honeymoon and uh, different worlds back then. I guess we shut our phones off for two solid weeks and yeah. we came back. So many friends were asking for the same signs. Again, we just thought we'd make some for fun and uh, one thing led to another. That's wild. That's a really cool story. That's I did not know that story. And then even just going back, uh, how long ago was your honeymoon? What year was that? 2012. 2012. I should have asked. I should have made sure Brian answered that question. Uh, <laughs> well, he has to know that question because everybody uh, we answer when was your business founded every day. So that's fair. But it's interesting. You know, my wife and I we got married two years ago, and we went to Hawaii. We were gone for two weeks. You know, phones weren't shut off. I unplugged from email. Uh, you know, we just went actually went back to Hawaii recently in May. You know, I monitored the email to some degree, but I. Yeah, it's just even 2012. I mean, it was, you know, it's nine years ago, I guess. Or yeah, nine years ago. And uh, yeah, it's just wild the time that way the way things have changed, like social media these days. I don't even know if Instagram was out in 2012. You know, I had a hard time shutting it off. But I just there were times where we would just leave the room, just leave the phone in the room and just never, never look at it again. It's so kudos to you for actually being able to do that. Because that's tough. Well, that was, you know, like you said, nine years ago, we also didn't run a business back then. Uh, That's true. That's yeah, we employees yeah. or some other company. It's easier to turn off your phone when you're. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So my parents, boss, and my mom both knew how to get in touch with me, so I set yeah. up an email account for emergencies. But mostly, we went off the grid, and I don't know if that could happen anymore. We have an amazing team, though, so we've come a long way. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, that's a really cool story. So when it came to you know making these signs that you made for your siblings. Is that something that one of you did for fun on the side? Is it something you just randomly came up with and it took off? Like, how, like, what's the story on that? Yeah, definitely uh, more random than anything. So um, I went to school uh, for design, but really never used the skills. I, I, after school, I got into sales and pretty much stuck with sales up until this job. And so um, I was kind of handy, but not like a you know craftsman by any means, and then more like an artist. And so we put these reclaimed floors in our house and we had all the leftover scrap pieces of wood. And so we, you know, basically after not finding the right gift, we said, well, it would be cool if we could do something with these, but the pieces are very small. And so we just couldn't figure out the right thing. And then finally it kind of dawned on us that we could kind of put a letter on each piece of small piece of wood and then link them together to make one bigger size. So like the Smith sign or the Portland sign that you can see behind us is kind of, um, was was a look and feel and that item is known as the Marlin Classic and it, it is still our top item and that people come seeking that item from us. Um, so definitely I think the first one was, you know, our signature and what people yeah. like. Um, but I would say right, neither of us did this, but we had bought a crazy house. Our families met and told at the home inspection and they all agreed that we should not buy this house. It was just crazy. Um, but we did it and it was a lot of work. So both yeah. of our big DIYers and working on the house 24 seven. So I guess from that side, it was a natural progression of already doing that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I guess, so this, the idea started from there 
how long was it that you were just doing it for fun on the side to when you started charging for it to when you started saying like, hey, like maybe we could actually start a business doing this, you know, for good. Like what's that? Tell us that timeline and that story. So, uh, so basically come back from the wedding, all the, uh, come back from the honeymoon, excuse me, all these people want signs. And so we're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we, we'll get to them. But you know, it's kind of a side project. I think we're doing like one night a week or on the weekend or whatever. And so the idea is we kind of got a little system going and we were still working our regular jobs. So we were really not spending much time in it. Um, but I could kind of see that there was something there. And so we had a friend of ours who was more of a construction background kind of help us out. He was our first employee, employee number one. And um, he came over one night a week. And then that's how we kind of started to put these things together. And at the same time, you know, I was looking for my next job. And to be honest with you, I didn't think that the signs was it. I was trying all sorts of other stuff and doing yeah. job interviews and everything. You know, at one point, we we're like, well, we kind of might have something here. Why don't we test it at a farmer's market? We chose the Cohasset Farmer's Market um, as being a place that we could just set up a little spot. And, you know, once a week, I'd take some time off. We'd set it up, see what happens. And so that's what happened. We, we set up a little display. Um, and we sold names like, you know, the towns that are, are nearby, Situate, Cohasset. And inevitably, people wanted those. But then we saw people wanted their last name or something, you know, words that were meaningful to them. Yeah. And so, you know, again, it didn't take off like a rocket ship right away. It was very kind of slow, but we'd get four to six signs a week. And, and that, that was, was awesome because yeah. we'd go out to dinner and think it was exciting. Yeah. Still, you're thinking much more, just more of, I guess, a hobby type thing on the side. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so basically the progression is we did that for probably a year, very, very part time. And then we, we had a retailer that um, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, that had uh, seen one of our products and reached out to us and said, hey, would you be interested to sell to us? And so the whole idea is that, you know, essentially we were, we were making signs. We don't even know if we were making money, but we we're basically making them and charging what we thought was right. And then okay. all of a sudden we've got an opportunity to sell to a store. And then you get into the equation of having to sell at wholesale and retail and all that type of stuff. So it became kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, but we were like, hey, we got to start somewhere. Let's try it. So I went in, I showed the guy all the signs we had, and he gave us a $3,000 order on the spot to make signs. That we had uh, like four days or something yeah, crazy he, to do. He wanted them in one week because he said, oh, I find a lot of people that have these cool things, but I order them and then they can never deliver. So he's like, I'm going to hold you to a high standard so I can know what you do. Wow. And it was like, you know, 3,000 dollars more signs than we'd ever made ever before. So <laughs> it was me and Melanie, and we were, you know, the joke is we bribed all of our friends and family with beer and pizza and Chinese yeah. food to come and help us make these signs. And so I drop them off, and he says, these are awesome. I'll get back to you in a couple months. Maybe we'll do a reorder. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And we're super happy. And yeah. uh, literally those signs sold out in a little less than a, a little bit over a week. And so he put a reorder in. And so right from there, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think this really could be something. So at that point, I pretty much switched over to making that my full-time job. So it was pretty much me and a, and a high school kid after after school that was helping me. And then eventually we graduated to hiring our first full-time employee uh, who helped me out. Uh, but but I would say for a while, once Brian went full-time and I was still trying to be the stable one, it was a crazy time. Like I would get up so early in the morning and enter all the orders and right back to the customers. And then I would get home at night and work. And any vacation day I, I ever took was spent flying to shows or working shows. Yeah. And I would talk to so many couples and say, how did you make the leap to do it together? What is it like to work with your husband? Yeah. Um, and it was sort of like, never thought it would actually ever, ever happen that I'd be able to join him. And then Chronicle featured us 
And that really boosted us and let, let me have the opportunity to join Brian sooner than I think either of us expected. And, you know, it was funny. I was like, well, I'll work, but I'll still do some side jobs. But I, I remember that first morning and just how busy the day was. And we sort of never looked back. Um, wow. And um, every day is a short challenge, but fun. Wow, that's crazy. So just to give like a frame of reference, that $3,000 order, roughly how many signs did you make for that? Yeah, it was in like a week. <laughs> 50 signs. 50. Okay. Okay. So that's 60 bucks a pop, more or less. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and was that more than how did that compare to what you've made in a week before? I was probably like four to six a week at the farmer's market. So yeah, wow. pretty much 10 times bigger and same amount of time to make them. So, you know, a lot of a lot of different things, but you know, everything's about scalability, right? And so yeah. the idea is that um, here we are, we have this great looking product, everybody likes it. Everybody wants more sales, right? Oh my gosh, I want to sell a million dollars of these things. But yeah. what you don't really realize, and they don't show you in Shark Tank and all these things is like what it takes to do that, right? Yeah. Uh, the idea is just because you get four to six times a week, all of a sudden going to 50, oh, you know, you just throw an extra body at it, you got it. It's not quite that easy. Literally, yeah. recipes change and everything, the way you make it has to change. Yeah. Um, and so it's been, you know, it's amazing to kind of just do that quick hit. And then we probably had to do that probably about 100 times since of where we were doing something at a, at a certain level. And yeah. to do more, we wind up having to switch it all, change it for the better. Wow. I mean, and I think a, a big turning point for us too was moving to uh, commercial space, our headquarters. Okay. We ran out of our house for a long time. We were selling over a million dollars out of our house and we have crazy photos of so many of us and it was very weather dependent. A lot of it, it overtook every inch of our entire house, but we had to do a lot of it outside. It was, wow. you know, really hard. We had tents everywhere. We're so fortunate that we live in a town in a neighborhood that they thought it was insane. They watched us in the beginning, fixing up our house. And now all of a sudden our beautiful house was getting filled with people. Our kitchen was the break room. We had, you know, employees would show up earlier than we ever wanted to get up seven days a week. It was <laughs> just, I couldn't wait to separate and have the business not be within our home. When we made the leap, um, it's still never easy for a long time. We had people in two locations and then we were still in a different, uh, further locations. So we're traveling back and forth, carrying a U-Haul, loading it, unloading it every day. So it's, it's amazing to look back and see, you know, where we've been and um, how far we've come. And sometimes I think we're always focused on, you know, how can we get all these orders out by next week? How can we meet our expectations of our customers? How can we deliver this? How can we find somebody new? But sometimes we have to really remember to pause and say, yeah how we used to do it look how far we've come we're always trying to get better which is awesome but sometimes we really need to celebrate how far we've come yeah no for sure you got to reflect it, it's it's easy to get caught up in the moment and not not reflect on you know what might seem like a small order now is like a, a mass like that three thousand dollar order like that's probably seems like a joke right now you know so it's you know it's nice to reflect and even doing like you said outside i mean it's we're in New England. Like we're not we're not in San Diego where it's 70 degrees every single day, you know. So like four three, four months out of the year, it's just terrible. So that that's gotta be a huge problem. Yeah, it was you know, that's you know, the, the transition, oh, you know, at, at this point it it seemed simple, but at the time, you know, every day, every hour was a struggle. But yes, we, we basically went from zero to nothing pretty quick in a, in our house. And yeah. thankfully we had great neighbors. Uh, we're in Millis, Massachusetts, so we, we had uh, fortunately about three acres, 
Uh, and we used pretty much every square foot we had of it. Uh, but literally, as you grow the business, things that you'd never even think about. But all of a sudden, all right, we got two employees. Okay, we need two more cars in the driveway. Then we wanted two more employees. Now you need uh, four cars in the driveway. So literally, at one yeah. point, we had about a dozen people working out of our house. And so we had to have parking for 12 people. Uh, <laughs> plus, we, you know, we had taken over a two-car garage, and that was our main area of production. We had an old barn in our backyard that we took over that was uh, where we do like our rough cutting and that type of stuff. But literally, our living room was our, our sales office. We, we basically took that over, and we had uh, sales and marketing and kind of a, a, you know right next to the couch. And then on the other side was accounting, and we literally would set boxes up to the ceiling in our living room. Wow. And so it seems like fun when you're doing it and stuff like that. And it was, but it's just crazy to think about where we've been and to where we are now. But you have to, you can't go from zero to a hundred. You know what I mean? That's what a lot of people think they can. Yeah. You kind of have those, have to have those intermediary steps to really understand and appreciate what you got and how to scale it. Because yeah. otherwise, if you go too quick, too fast, it's like a house of cards. It can, it can fall yeah. apart pretty quick. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. So what, how long into the business you had mentioned, you know, Melanie had mentioned the, you know, the million dollar mark yeah. earlier. How long into it did you hit that that first million in sales? Well, it was probably, uh, so like, so 2012, we get married. So we didn't really become a real business. So I'd say about 2014. Okay. Um, and so it was probably 2015, we hit a million bucks in sales. Um, and and here the step is this, we did zero, then we did about 200, two, yeah, maybe 20,000 bucks per year, then 200 to a million, and then from a million, like 1.5 million. Um, but yeah, so we took a million dollars worth of prize. We didn't make a single penny, you know what I mean? Because we didn't know what we were doing. We we're just right. trying to get it out the door. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, the idea is we were learning the, we were learning about the business and trying to figure it out. And so essentially we go to the banks and we say, Hey, we just took a million dollars worth of product out of a two car garage. We think we're onto something. Um, and again, you know, for those people that really want to get into business, you know, everybody kind of has the shark tank mentality. You've got this thing and everybody's going to buy into it. And so pretty quickly you figure out that, you know, banks are, can be very difficult. Even though know, you should, you did a million bucks. Um, people are going to say, well, you did a million bucks, but are you going to do it again? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, of course you're going to do it again. But, you know, they, there's a lot of uh, stuff that makes you think. And, and, you know, you're, yeah, when you're young and starting this thing, you can be very naive about how things are going to work. And so the bankers are doing their job to make sure that you really have a business. But the pieces of the puzzle and having them to come together, I uh, can't stress enough how difficult it can be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I would say tying off of that, one important thing is we talked about revenue and we talked about, you know, revenue, you asked us how fast we got to a million dollars. And, you know, we've received a couple of awards because we've grown so fast, but it occurred to us that we were so excited about our growth and we were so naive. We needed to pause and slow down on our growth and become more profitable. Yeah. Become profitable, accept orders that are more profitable, streamline that we can and focus on our product offering and really do things that make the most sense for us as a business, for the team that we employ, for the banks, for everybody, rather than just always focus on that revenue number. And that for sure is a, is a hard lesson for anybody where we get so excited, but to have to really, really make that your number one priority. And I think that's where we've been focused lately and, and that has really made a huge difference. The other thing I was going to say is, Brian, you were talking earlier about like the $3,000 order. Brian references, for example, we used to buy something for $50, then $500, then $5,000 and how our bills have completely changed yeah. and what we would give for some of those bills we used to have back in the day. <laughs> the payables go uh, equal with the orders. That's yeah. Yeah, we, we would get invoices for, you know, and when you first start off, 500 bucks is a large payment. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
you basically have never really been in a business. You know, I tell people like, well, equate it to what you do. You know what I mean? Essentially, before this, we had car payments and mortgage payments and yeah. or work payments. You know what I mean? And so those are your biggest bills in your life. And then so when you start to get a business, all of a sudden you get a five hundred dollar bill. Like you need to know that that thing's coming and prepare for it. And so you know, another thing I tell a lot of people because they just don't understand this, but you get on this ride and it can rapid growth is great. Yeah. The idea though is so do the bills. You know what I mean? The bills just get bigger and more zeros at the end. And so eventually you get up to a point where you know, to get things done, they cost 5,000 bucks. And you can't believe that when you're first starting out because you're really, you know, a hundred bucks seems like a lot of money. But as you build the business, you know, the, the money suck is, is, is very real. There's a lot of things that, you know, add up to a lot of money that you have to put into. And I feel like that when I talk to people about like what they, you know, what's it like to own a business? And, you know, I never want to talk to people out of doing business because I think it's the greatest thing. It's the greatest experience. But it's the stuff that people don't talk about. It's the stuff that, you know, everybody, again, wastes this shark tank. They think somebody's going to give you a million bucks <laughs> yeah. for your idea. I hate to break it to you, but if somebody gives you a million bucks, they pretty much want you to give them back like three or four million dollars in right. a short amount of time. Right. And so the idea is that, uh, you know, a lot of businesses and a lot of products just can't scale to that ability. Um, and, it, and it really creates a lot of issues in the business. Yeah. No, I, a lot of great points there. I think it's funny because, no, near the end, I usually ask, you know, what's the first piece of advice that you would give somebody that wants to start their business? So I would love to hear that answer. And then also to your point of like growing in the profitability piece, like, you know, when you're starting out, like anybody, like, you know, I, I own two businesses, like as you're starting out, you try to work with anybody and everybody that's just going to throw money at you, right? You like anything to make a few bucks, it's totally worth it. And then you realize how much time you're wasting on just very, very slim margins. And then maybe you have to condense maybe the products you're selling or the type of people you work with, so on and so forth. So after you answer the question of what's the first first thing that comes to mind for the two of you, somebody that wants to start their own business, I would love to hear that. And then the full suite of you know products that, that Rustic Mylon offers. Sure. Uh, so, so I would say, I think um, for somebody that wants to own their own business, we definitely get asked this question a lot. My gut reaction is always like, why? But I understand, right? So sitting there, you're working the grind, and I'm sure, you know, we have employees. It's, it's human nature to say, but I work so hard, and I'm always here, and I came up with the idea. I could do this myself, or I want to follow my dream. And it's amazing to think like that. And I'm probably the realist out of the two of us. But for me, there's just so many things as an owner that you're putting on out there, right? You know, you have to find the bank loans and there's personal guarantees and money, things that are a little bit scary. And then also, if you employ a team of people, which we do, paying them is the number one priority. So it's a little different when it's just the two of us. But now that we have a team, we need to make sure we have orders. We need to make sure that they're profitable. So my advice for people is it is amazing. And it sounds great to be your own boss, but it definitely probably is compared to having children. Like you're working 24 hours a day no matter what, doesn't matter the day of the week, and your brain is consumed by it. It's all you can ever think of. It's wonderful, but it is harder work and harder on the brain more than more than you can even fathom it to be. But if you're the type of person that's up for that, I say go for it. And obviously, being a husband and wife and working together, there's a lot of challenges, but part of it is we just know we're working every day, and that's part of it. I think it would probably be harder if it was just one of us doing yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. Two, two makes it easier in a lot of ways, but you got to kind of know what roles and responsibilities. If, if two people do the same stuff, then you're going to constantly be clashing. So we, we do a pretty good job of 
Melanie owns some stuff, I own some stuff. But I would say, you know, my, my real advice for people that are starting their business is to take it slow. Um, I personally am more of an entrepreneur. I, I you know, don't particularly, you know, I like working for myself. I don't particularly like working for a big corporation or something like that. So it, it fits me that way. But I think the idea is that you kind of don't want to jump too quickly, right? And so yeah. the idea is a lot of people are working a, a nine to five job and then they have a, a hobby or craft that they're trying to develop into a business. And so the idea is a lot of people think they have something and they jump to it. And my thing would be make sure you really have something because the day that you, you know, stop getting a regular paycheck and it's all on the business, it puts tremendous amount of pressure on you that you can never understand until you've been in those positions. And so yeah. the idea is, you know, for people I talk to a lot, people that tend to jump into it too quickly are the ones that tend to have the worst problems. In this case, I, I took the jump first because it was more, um, it was better for my schedule. And, and Melanie still worked for over a year until we knew that we really had something to jump. And even some people would, you know, would say maybe she jumped too quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we got that a little in some ways too, but it just, in essence, works. But, yeah. you know, and it, it's wonderful, but I, I agree with you said. And I think it depends on the type of business too. I mean, manufacturing in Massachusetts is quite, has its own set of challenges. Yeah, I can imagine. So, like, what what are the full suite of products that you that the two of you make at Rustic Marlin? And is there a meaning behind Rustic Marlin? Like, I'm always curious how people come up with the names of their companies. Well, I'll answer the first part. Yeah, so Rustic Marlin. So we come back from our honeymoon, and all these people want um, signs, and so we're like, oh, okay, what are we gonna do? And so, to be honest with you, uh, even before a farmers market, we thought maybe we'd have like an Etsy store, and that's how we were gonna do it. So we were kind of trying to figure out like, what's a cool name that we could have that's meaningful for what we do and so rustic is perfect because that's that's the realm that we're in i'm a huge fisherman and so i've caught a lot of different fish but we you know we started going down the names and around here you can striped bass and we joke about it but rustic striper rustic bass just doesn't quite have the the cool yeah. uh, sound to it so i only caught one in my life but i got a white marlin out in the canyons uh, many years ago and i said oh i got a marlin how about rustic marlin and yeah, that's cool. In the car when it happened, and we were like, "Yeah, let's do it." And so that's how it happened. But nice. we literally went through about you know a thousand different combinations of words and stuff like that, trying to figure out that right thing. Yeah. Fortunately, this one hit, and we liked it, and, and it stuck. Nice. Yeah. And then, as far as our products go, I mean, we saw, we started with our signature item, and then we definitely moved. So we definitely have a variety of shelf sitting and hanging signs. Our flag was the next one that we offered that Christmas. We wanted to make something special for my dad and we were trying to think of what we could get him. Um, and he's a veteran. So we made him a flag and he really loves that. And then slowly we've adapted, you know, to have, especially for the store, some more price point friendly grab and go items. So we definitely have a range of premium wooden decor. And then in January of 2019, to round out our business, we actually acquired a textiles company. So we now have pillows and tea towels and keychains and work to sell a full suite of premium home decor that really coordinates with each other. Got it. Okay, nice. And and does what you make now, like how does it differ from when you first started? Yeah, uh, it's it's the, almost the same stuff. It's all okay. roots, right? So essentially... Yeah. We're in the like wall decor, home decor space. So it's all stuff to kind of put in your house to kind of, you know, have the right images and words that are meaningful to you to kind of show show people your style. Yep. And so essentially it breaks down to, you know, wood shapes, right? So we have small and large wood shapes and it's a matter of putting graphics on those pieces and uh, whether they hang on a wall or they go on a shelf or something like that. And so the idea is it's very much the same process back then. We just offer a much wider range of products and graphics than we've ever been able to do before. 
the other differences as we grew sound silly. We needed to develop SKUs before people just described what they wanted to. But yeah. in order to scale, we needed somebody to say, this is the exact thing that I want. And that was huge. At the beginning, too, we would buy the wood or paint or whatever we just saw, whether it was, you know, on a yard sale site or down the local paint store, it was whatever color. So people were like, well, can I have that one? And we're like, well, we can't. That was a one-time thing. So yeah. we realized in order to sell to stores, in order to grow, and for people to come back and get the same thing, we needed yeah. to have, like, a collection of items that made sense, which sounds so basic, but it wasn't. And I'm sure a lot of other artists and people that are out there go through the same thing. They just make these beautiful things, that, right. whether it's jewelry or painting, and they're just looking to sell them. And then when somebody wants the same one, they're like, yeah. oh, that was, a, that was a one-time thing that I had. Yeah. So. No, it's a really good point, too. And it brings me back to, it's funny, uh, a podcast I did with Medusa Brewing Company in Hudson. And he was kind of the same thing. He's a craft brewer making all these like special different kinds of beers. And then he goes to sell them, you know, at a liquor store. And they're like, well, like, what's your main seller? He's like, I don't have one. Like, I just, you know, we make them like all the time. Like, look, man, like I got to make like a, a bunch of skews if you keep doing this. Like you need to have a couple of like staples that people always want so we can have those going on a regular basis. So it's like the same exact thought process. It's something I never would have thought of you know, without the podcast. I uh, know that's the, all this about scalability, right? Yeah. You know, shops at all these stores and stuff has price tags and barcodes and all that type of stuff. It's easy, right? Yeah. Well, when you start to develop your own product, you know, your recipe and your formula to make those is critical, right? Yeah. It's, you know, the way that you do it. That's where I said before, like you get a, a batch of a hundred is made one way. A batch of a thousand is made a completely different way. And to keep the consistency and the look and the feel and the price and all that stuff together, that's the challenge. You know what I mean? That's what that's what inevitably is, is hurts businesses, right? Because the scalability is just not there. You either stay staying at, selling at a farmer's market level because that's what you can handle or you drive into that next level. But it's just, you know, it's not easy. You know what I mean? Everybody kind of thinks, oh, I could do that. And, you know, the, the one that we use the most is, you know, hamburgers. Everybody's cooking hamburgers on the grill. It doesn't mean the next day you can start a McDonald's, right? McDonald's right. <laughs> millions of dollars behind the scenes of how they do their process. Right. But somebody that they hire today can make a Big Mac tomorrow that is just as good as somebody that's been there for five years. Right. And so that type of stuff gets uh, taken for granted. But that is essentially the scalability model yeah. of business. It's simplifying it to such an easy thing that it's repeatable over and over right. again. And again, this is all stuff I had no idea. You know, I mean, we've kind yeah. of learned... Uh, you know, the MBA of, of manufacturing the hard way, of making a lot of mistakes. Well, I would say I, another great piece of advice is you have to have a strong network around you. Yep. And we have a lot of amazing friends that are business owners in every industry that most of them we met at trade shows. One of the first shows we did way back in maybe 2014, 2015. But along the way, we've met other business owners. And just like you said, um, we're good friends with Val. And I mean, it's Golden Cannoli. And you think, what does that have to do with anything that you're doing? Right. I mean, we have friends that make jewelry and so many places that are wonderful friends, but there is so much, exactly like you just gave. There's the examples of SKUs and UPCs or where do you buy your boxes or payroll and HR questions. So there's a lot of things that it's very important to build that network around yourself totally. because we know what our skill sets aren't. Sometimes we might try harder to just, when you're a business owner, it's like, a last stop. If something doesn't work or something breaks down, it's up to you. But right. you have to really have that network and ask people, you know, what they, who they're using, what they're doing, how yep. they're, what they find effective, and and I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah, like I couldn't agree more. And uh, it's in, 
I, I've said this on multiple podcast episodes, but business, yeah, it's sales, right? But like, it really comes down to relationships, right? Like building that relationship and the network of people around you is huge, especially when you're first starting off. Because let's be honest, anybody that starts a business leans on their friends and family to, you know, basically just not charity, but you know, hey, like buy this off me, see if you like it, spread the word type of thing. And it always has the challenges. Um, and speaking of challenges, I don't want to, hopefully I think we're on the other side of this. seems like it. I don't want to get too much into COVID, but uh, it impacted certain industries way more than it impacted other industries. You know, like the brewery that I just mentioned, like that industry restaurants, they got crushed. I had a Boston vet- veterinary clinic. Brian Borkin was on. People were adopting pets like crazy last year. So like his business like exploded. Um, so in what ways did it impact Rustic Marlin and did it cause you to pivot in any way or? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Super question. <laughs> so the beginning was obviously the world shut down. Everybody yeah. thought, you know, a couple days, a couple weeks. So we decided to furlough our team. Part of it being we didn't know what was going to happen and if they were going to end up on unemployment, we wanted to make sure they were kind of there before everybody else or whatever was happening. And then all of a sudden we realized this is this is going to be longer than we thought. You yeah. know, what what are we going to do? Because we we will not make it. So we needed to just completely change everything. And okay. Well, so you know, basically, it's, it's easy to say you got to change everything, but essentially, our business was most, you know almost all wholesale. We we made stuff to sell to other stores, right? And you know, most of our stores were closed, and so the idea is we, we realized that we had to do something completely different. But we knew that you know more than ever before, people wanted some type of a sign to show unity. The Hearts for Healthcare was like the most trendy thing ever going on. So okay. Essentially, we just tried to figure out, hey, what's what's right for us? And so we came up with this sign over here. The uh, Hope of the Heart was probably um, one of our, our best graphics that really resonated with a lot of people. But um, it, we, we essentially launched something what we called Signs of Hope. Um, and so basically scaled the business down to back to the early days. It was just literally yeah. me in here for, for, for weeks before we started adding back our employees to make these signs. Um, and then again, you talk about you know, overcoming adversity. Um, so here we are. Now we have these signs. People want them. And, uh, you know, basically, we're in lockdown. You're only supposed to be able to go to the supermarket. So we don't sell the supermarkets, but how are we going to get these signs out to the masses? Uh, and so what we did, developed is a uh, what we call a kiosk program. So it's basically a, a standalone kind of like artisan's easel, but kind of oversized. And okay. we basically have a way for people to essentially buy the, buy the product on the honor system. Um, they paid by cash, check, or Venmo, and then basically that was how we basically got our signs out there. And it was such a huge success. We we uh, took a portion of the proceeds and would donate it back to various causes. Um, oh, that's awesome! Um, but we raised over seventy-five thousand dollars. It was a huge success for us. Oh wow! But it basically started as you know something we had to do, and then it kind of got bigger, 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 and then you know we were pretty much shut down the month of May, um, April. April, I guess, and then May we started bringing couple people back and then we probably have been back at about 85 percent since like last november okay uh, at this point we're pretty much back to full speed but yeah. yeah with our stores closed we had to pivot as best we could and i think we did a pretty good job of it. yeah i you know i laugh about different things that you know we did a we had to do even simple things like a video or you know how are we going to do all our social posts how are we going to take photos and at the time like we didn't have a team. So obviously today our team has created this wall that we use for a variety of different reasons. They put everything together. They make sure all the pieces of our puzzle run. So like the team makes who we are. So we were doing it for our team and so that they could come back to jobs. But it was like every every phone call came to us, every yeah. customer service person, 
every social media. So now we're trying to make signs and we're trying to deliver the signs because we had so many kiosks. Fortunately, our parents really stepped up and were huge delivery people. And each sign has a piece of twine. So my father just started cutting twine like crazy and became known as the twine king. <laughs> uh, so it was like, it's, it was almost like those beginning days. And you really appreciate it. And now you, when things happen, like today, I just slid in. Uh, I had to be somewhere this morning and it's like, everything set up, ready to go. And, and you realize like, it, it is it, where everything about us, like, yes, the business started and it was Brian and I, and we did everything, but the beginning of COVID, I think really helped us realize yeah. our, it is our team and we fought hard for them. We wanted them to have jobs to come back to. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, it's always cool to see how people pivot and innovate, you know, when something like that happens, like something that you just and there's no way you could plan for anything like that. So, and how so? How many employees do you have in total at Rustic Marlin? Uh, we have 35 employees currently. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's really cool to hear. You you start off obviously in Massachusetts. Where do you deliver? I don't know if that's a stupid question. Is it mainly Mass? Is it mainly New England? Is it you know throughout the country? Like where exactly? So, uh, so we're located in Hanover, Mass. And kind of the cool story is that when we went from a two car garage at our house to uh, technically 50,000 square feet of uh, space. Uh, it's two floors, 25,000 downstairs, which is our main manufacturing facility. And then we have more, more or less storage upstairs, but uh, we're in an old building 19. So for those that have uh, lived in Massachusetts for a while, they know building 19. So we took over the space and it was just a big old warehouse. And so we've had to uh, build it out. The walls didn't exist, the you know bathrooms didn't exist. So we pretty much had to kind of design out our space. And so we pretty much have, uh, you know, we say state-of-the-art uh, manufacturing facility, but it's, it's pretty impressive when you walk in. We get uh, a lot of equipment that we use to make the wood, cut the wood, plane the wood, sand the wood, whatever we need to do to kind of get all the, the stuff done. So we make everything right here in this location in Hanover. Wow. Um, and then we sell it across the country. Um, okay. We're definitely very big in uh, South Shore, but also all, all over New England and, and uh you know, we, we have uh, some really great accounts, you know, even in California. So nice. uh, we're expanding each year, but we're, we're definitely bigger on the East Coast right now. Nice. So so what do you see for the future of Rustic Marlin, right? So this started nine years ago. You're both still young, right? So like, what do you see for the future of Rustic Marlin? <laughs> it never does if you're a business owner. It never feels like you're young. You feel like you age quickly. I, but. I guess. Got it. Yeah, I mean, the idea is just, you know, our, our uh, you know, Simply put, you know, I mean, there's, it's like this, you know, we talked about this a little bit. We've been in this space for about five years. And to be honest with you, it took about five years to figure out everything out. I talk a lot about the scalability, but these are problems that we have even today. Yeah. Um, never fully figured out or in, in the lean manufacturing world, you call it continuous improvement. You always have to get better or else you're, you're falling behind. So uh, we've had a lot of starts and stops and, you know, essentially scalability issues to get to where we are now. Um, but we've invested a ton of time and a ton of money into getting our system and our process right. And so right now we really have the ability to potentially double or triple our sales within the next couple of years. Um, and so the idea is we have we have had times where we probably grew too quick and people say, oh, don't grow too quick, don't grow too quick. But the idea is when people are hanging, you know, people wanting your product and, and when those early days, you'll take every order because you need to kind of prove yourself yeah. and you, 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 you can't say no. And so we've learned it kind of the hard way that you do have to say no yeah. at times because if you just take orders, you know, and you don't have the support system to build it, 
inevitably you might uh, upset a customer or you just might not be able to deliver on time. And so that's kind of what we've done is the last couple of years, we've really kind of got our system right. We, we have, uh, we call it the machine. Um, and so the machine is, is built to do much more than what we're doing now. And so now we're just adding new channels, which is essentially, uh, you know, different ways of selling and new retailers that, we're, that we uh, plan on selling to. Got it. Now, I expected his answer to be, you know, selling to stores in the Bahamas and he's fishing every day and, and running the flagship store out of the Bahamas. So <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, you know, reality in what we're trying to do and we're working to achieve every single day. And then yeah. there's your dream world and hopefully we'll get there someday. Yeah, I'm sure you will. So next question, I, I mean, I'm curious about, I ask every guest this question, but it's different with every business owner and entrepreneur. Do you think the two of you, outside of being physically or mentally incapable of working, do you think you'll ever 100% retire, right? Like, do you ever think you'll completely sell the business? Do you think you always have a hand in there or maybe do something passively? You know, it's always an interesting conversation with business owners. So I'm curious what you have to say. I'm the person that never sits still, but I I do see a day where Rustic Marlin is sold and we've successfully handed it off. Yeah. And my dream state would have more, we have, there's a lot of retired people that were extremely successful that have helped us along the way. And I'm hoping I can do that. And at the beginning, it might still be, you know, 50 hours a week, but I'm so appreciative of what people have done for us. So that sort of would be, you know, that transitional phase. I don't think we could sell Rustic Mountain and then permanently go on vacation. I can see us taking a nice vacation and enjoying. Um, And I'm sure, like you said, it would be a slow uh, move and it's so far out. In the future, but well, hopefully. Yeah, I would say, again, thinking about those early days, uh, something that does definitely throws you for a curve is, uh, you know, again, the natural progression of, of doing a business is you, you say you're going to do a business, whatever it is, and then you should probably talk to an accountant and, and get some financial advice on how you set it up. And what's crazy is, like, I think in, like, the first year, we probably talked to, like, 10 different people that was like, well, what's your exit strategy? Yeah. It's like, exit strategy? We're trying to get into it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but it is amazing that, you know, you really kind of have to have a plan in mind from day one, you know, whether you're going to keep the business forever or you're going to yeah. sell it at some point. Uh, personally, I love the business. I, I feel like I'll probably be here until I'm 100. But the idea is that you can essentially, you know, see that people that we know, like Mel says, even if you sell the business, you still want to be attached to something. And so the idea is I love the business. I want to be here as much as I can. But you'd be crazy not to build a business in, in a way that's such that, you know, at some point in your life, you may decide that it's time to, to move on. And Yeah, no, I think those are two great answers. I'm just always curious with business owners because everybody's different. I'm the same way. Like, I can't sit still. I asked this, like, like, as you said, my wife and I went to Hawaii back in May. And like, don't get me wrong, like the beach, the mountains, like everything's gorgeous. But like, I'm a white Irish guy, you know, like I sit out there for like three hours and I just get beat red. She's part Armenian. She gets tan in a snowstorm. Like, it's just not fair. So like, yeah, the beach is great, but I get bored. You know, I enjoy golf, but that's, you know, four hours on the golf course. I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of the day. So I always feel like I'm going to have my hand in something, you know, maybe it's passive as long as I've done everything right. I don't like, I'm not going to need, you know, to make a ton of money to live, but you know, I'm always curious at different, you know, different business owners. Uh, so. Uh, you know, outside of work, well, I guess, what are some of the couple of things that you two enjoy doing? I was I was just going to say that, actually. Well, the, uh, first of all, I was going to say flights are my number one place to get work done. I love it. So uh, Fair enough. would be amazing and you can really get caught up in stuff. But uh, I was just going to say our time off is not what people would picture it to be at all. We love to do crazy things, even outside of Rustic Maryland, right? Uh, yeah, well, so basically... 
I'm a big fish fan. That's why we're resting Marlin. So uh, yeah. dream place to go. We go to the Bahamas, uh, a place called Exuma. Definitely is like my favorite place. I do a lot of bone fishing. So, you know, for me, that's kind of like one week there is worth, you know, a whole year of the craziness because yeah. that, that's kind of my release. Uh, but hopefully someday uh, I could go more than once. But we've had some good vacations. But he's um, just saying like, so a day off, right? Oh, day so off. It, I am trying to figure out what a day off is. So actually <laughs> outside of it, a day off is like just a whatever. But we actually are always doing something crazy around the house. We love to spend time with our nieces and nephews. That's probably our number one thing is planning fun activities that we can do with them or adventuring, exploring, checking things out is more of our speed rather than you won't find the two of us probably alone sitting on the beach. Cause that, yeah. that doing something um, physical, whether like last year we made a whole fence and we're growing our garden or we're painting things or if we're with the kids, they keep us so busy. Yeah. We like to do things that keep ourselves busy because as soon as we stop and it's just the two of us and it's quiet, then all you do is talk about work. So right. our downtime is usually spent doing something besides just sitting, seeing other people. Last year, that was really difficult. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. I love to walk with friends. Just It just gives you that mental, yep. physical happiness that you need on a regular basis. Yep. Um, but yeah. it involves, I think, something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the simplicity. Even like you just said, walking around with friends. You know, the simplicity of that. That's if that's all you need. That's all you need. You know. So we live by the ocean, so we we meet and walk by the ocean in the lighthouse. I can't really complain. But yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, that's not too bad. I got. I, I live in a townhouse community. It's like Pleasantville around here. Like every house looks exactly the same. So there's no there's no ocean. Uh, there was one one like five year old kid on Halloween one night. He came to a house across the street from us like three times because he just like they all look the same. I think he's just secretly like a really smart kid and he probably did that on purpose. But yeah, if you get the, if you get the water right near you, that's, that's pretty sweet. You're giving out the good candy, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Brian and Melanie. So last couple of questions. First one being, if you could tell your 18 year old selves one thing, what would you tell them? I would say keep working hard because it does pay off even when you're yeah. so frustrated. Yeah. I'll lighten up a little bit. What about you, Brian? Uh, yeah, similar. I mean, basically, you know, I think there's this rush for people that are 18 that they think they're going to, you know, need to make a million bucks and all that type yeah. of stuff. The idea is that school is a great experience. Um, you know, it really kind of gives you life experience. Yeah. But until you start doing a job, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, one month on a job is like one year at school. You know what yeah. I mean? You can learn more doing it and stuff. Um, so I just say, Hey, try a little bit of everything because you never really know where they, where you're going to go. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people that are like, Oh, my major is this. And you know, basically you don't have to do anything with that major. You know what I mean? So right. the idea is just to get exposed to a lot of different experiences so that, you know, you, you, you never know where you're going to go and you can change your mind at any point and kind of pursue a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a great answer. Cause I, like, you know, I look back, like I'm 37, right? So like I've lived a second life since. I graduated high school in 18. You think you know everything, right? Like you think you know everything. You know absolutely nothing. You have zero life experience up to that point. And until you try and fail things, you don't know what you're going to fall into. You know, five years ago, I had no idea I was going to be doing what I'm doing now. Uh, it's just like, and you can't like plan so far in advance. You just got to let life experience kind of navigate you, you know, naturally to see how you go. So no, I think those are two great answers. So last question, I've asked every guest on Boston's Best these two, this question. If you could define, everyone has a varying depiction of what success looks like to them, right? So like, how would the two of you define success? That probably varies too. I find success be literally like 
my near future success is being able to have more weekends off, being able to see my parents more, my nieces and nephews more and doing what I love for me more than necessarily, you know, we have anything else to have some of that personal time is really a success for me. It's fair. What about yourself, Ryan? Uh, yeah, you know, early on, I tell you an example. Somebody asked us the same question. And I was stumbling with the answer, and so the guy says, "Well, let me tell you what I thought was a success." And he said, "I wanted to have my house paid off and a million dollars in the bank." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "We were thinking at that point, like, if we could take Sundays off, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be success." You can see um, that's still my goal. Yeah, basically, <laughs> we still haven't uh, got to that guy's plan yet. But the idea is that you just want everything to kind of, uh, you know having enough financial success to give you the time to do the things other than work every minute right. of the day. And so, you know, quite honestly, we had, didn't have that for many years. I'd say probably in the last year and a half was when we started to kind of get more into that mode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah COVID <laughs> had to happen. But, you know, quite honestly, you have to plan on working seven days a week and people think, oh, that's no way. But truthfully, that is really what it is. And if you think you're going to do it for less than that, you're, you're kidding yourself. Yeah. No, I think those are two great answers. You know, like, you know, we're not kidding ourselves. Like, of course, you're in, you don't own a business to not make money, right? But I think that that obviously helps. But that ultimately has been the, you know, not the main reason of you know the main definition of everyone's version of success. So I couldn't agree more. Brian and Melanie, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it was a blast having Rustic Marlin on here, and happy to promote the two of you. And I just love everything the two of you are doing. So thanks again for coming on Boston's Best. Awesome. It was so great talking to you. Thanks so much. Bye. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Hey everyone, I just wanted to say thank you for checking out my podcast. I really do appreciate the love I've received for this show. I believe now more than ever, any exposure to local businesses is great for them to receive and I'm trying to do my part. If you are a local business owner or someone you know in the Boston area that would like to be featured on the podcast, please email me at bostonsbestpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow this podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Instagram with the handle at Boston's Best underscore podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com backslash Boston's Best podcast. Again, I truly appreciate the great feedback for this show and stay tuned for each new episode every Friday at 8 a.m. Take care.